This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Could you imagine running a business that has over 1,000 events per year? Many entrepreneurs struggle with running one event and have dozens of problems making it profitable. Today's guest is Barry Merrick, the founder of Ivy. Ivy is a 20,000 member social university that exists in seven cities across the United States and brings together people that are interested in entrepreneurship, arts, social impact, policy, well-being, science, and philosophy. It was incredible getting into the mind of Barry and understanding how he makes a business like this work. His focus is on change and making a difference, and this is the main driver for Ivy. On the show, we dig into how Barry and his partner started to grow Ivy. We discuss how the events for Ivy are managed and talk about how they structure the business in a manageable way. Towards the end of the show, Barry shares with us about what he thinks is most important maintaining a business of this magnitude and how he can still run things from anywhere in the world. You guys, this is a great episode. Without further ado, let's welcome Barry to the show. Welcome, Barry, to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming on the show. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling you from New York City. It's a beautiful day here in New York. Uh, It's August, but people are hustling as hard as ever, and that's (laughs) what makes the city so great. So for the listeners, you guys, Barry and I have had a, well, I guess a very short friendship. I heard about him on the Mike Dillard podcast, Self-Made Man, just yesterday, last night. And I shot him an email and I invited him on the podcast and he said, yes, let's do it. When's the soonest we could do it? And he shot me an email back and then we booked him for today. So I don't even think I've really known about you for more than 24 hours or Ivy in your business. But I think it's really cool and a good testament to openness and being adaptable to what comes across your table and what is going to happen next and then taking advantage of that opportunity. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely. My pleasure. Barry, I'm I'm blown away and I'm amazed by your business, Ivy, and the social university and the community that you've built that started in 2011. Uh, That's correct uh, in terms of earliest days, but in its current format, it's uh, we started in February 2013, just about four and a half years. Wow. And then it's built into an incredible movement, really. And we're going to get into the details about that. But Barry, we want to learn a little bit about you and your your background and your backstory. So just tell us, Barry, how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Happy to. So I'm originally from Turkey. I was born in Istanbul. Uh, and my family were all entrepreneurs. So my father, my uncles, my aunts, uh, Essentially, everybody was in business and pretty much every conversation had a lot to do with growth and motivating people, elevating people, um, dealing with challenges. And uh, as a family, we also experienced quite a few ups and downs uh, as part of the natural entrepreneurial path. So I grew up really being uh, very open to the idea of you know building something and the challenges uh, that are involved with that. And at age 11, uh, my family actually moved to Glasgow in Scotland. Um, and that was a transformative experience. It was a very different culture. 
and um, and it made me think a lot about what does it mean uh, to belong to a community? What does it mean to have a certain identity? And a lot of these questions then uh, led to the founding of Ivy, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and after uh, Scotland, I came over to the US and I got to study at Brown University for undergraduate. I then worked at Morgan Stanley doing M&A for a couple of years. After that, I was really all set uh, to do whatever it took to launch uh, my own business. I wanted to build something that had tremendous meaning that could enable me to make a huge impact on the world. So I got this awesome opportunity to go to Harvard Business School and I took those two years to focus nonstop on at looking at every kind of venture out there. I did a lot of little ventures before, you know, as part of like my activities and extracurriculars in school and so forth. Uh, but these two years were really formative and really looking at everything out there and also really thinking through all the companies that I got to see at Morgan Stanley. And uh, interestingly, um, near the end of my business school experience, together with a fellow classmate and a, really one of my best friends, Philip Treble, we started really reflecting on the fact that you know business school um, and college provide this incredible immersive experience where you're part of a community where you're learning a lot in an extremely social atmosphere and where everything is super multidimensional. So everyone you meet becomes a friend, but they can also become colleagues or business partners or investors or employees and uh, people that are also who become thought partners. And having worked in between uh, undergrad and grad school, we thought that this was a huge contrast to how life is after you graduate. So, you know, for most of us, when we graduate, we move to these big cities where um, there's countless opportunities and countless people, but very uh, few forces that provide the type of cohesion that you have in a collegiate environment. So everything after graduation is pretty compartmentalized. You have your work mm -hmm. that you probably work at really hard and you meet some people through, you have very little time to even see your old friends and then to meet new people, you need to be really proactive and to explore everything that your city has to offer, it's pretty tough. So our idea was, why don't we create the lifelong version of a great American university where your whole city is transformed into this campus where all the incredible thought leaders in that city, all the incredible institutions, cultural institutions, think tanks, uh, businesses that are in that city becomes a part of a campus that you learn from, that you meet a lot of new people through, and you grow and make a bigger impact in your life. So that was the genesis of the Ivy idea. Um, and since then, we've, uh, over the last four and a half years, we've grown across seven cities in the United States. Uh, we have more than 20,000 members, and uh, we're getting ready now to go global, uh, to take Ivy uh, International. Wow. Where's your first city abroad? The first city abroad will be London, uh, okay. where both uh, myself and my co-founder, Philip, actually used to live there before business school. Uh -huh. um, it's also an incredible gateway to many other cities, both in Europe, but also Middle East and Asia. So London will be the next one, uh, closely followed by Hong Kong, Dubai, Tel Aviv, and uh, ultimately we want to be in 50 cities around the world over the next seven years. Wow. Barcelona is a great city. 
And if you're interested. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't need to be sold on Barcelona. I can't wait until we're <laughs> launching there. Well, please let me know because I do spend a bit of time there and I love the city and could connect you or help you however I can. This is a great thing to talk about because this is an experience, What exactly what you're talking about is going from university into the real world is an experience that I went through and I... I guess you could say I kind of struggled with it as a college student moving into the quote unquote real world. And we have all these negative connotations about doing that, right? Like, oh, now you're going to join the real world. Now you really have to grow up. Now, like, this is the next step for you. But what I realized, and I think a lot of college students that go through that, anybody that's gone through that process, college and university is a really fun time for a lot of people. I've never been to a college campus where the energy there or the vibe there is dull. It's always really exciting for the most part, even community colleges. And then you leave that. You're in that for four years or however long you stay. And then you leave that for the real world and things are, you know, different, (laughs) so to say. Minds are more closed. Um, People aren't learning on the scale that they they do. I think people in the quote-unquote real world feel that their education is over, where on in college campuses they're never ending and this is a, a really great thing like that you moved that into the more adult population and you're spreading it amongst the world because i think i guess you could say it's kind of a problem in many ways would you agree yeah I, and actually what's super interesting is that human beings the way we're wired um we thrive in community yeah. And in fact, for most of human history, we were actually in super tight-knit communities. Um, it's only relatively recently, post-industrialization and you know heavy urbanization, that it's become the norm for most people to live in humongous cities, oftentimes away from your parents and extended family. Um, so this is actually not you know how humans lived for you know most of history. Um, and what's happening now is in addition to, you know, being in a big city where there's so much going on, it's hard to feel a sense of belonging. People are also uh, a lot more post ideological and um, things like participation in church groups and so forth are lower than ever for this next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also trends like everything is getting obviously hyper digitized, right? We're spending an extraordinary time in front of screens compared to ever before True. and that's only increasing and we've also become hyper specialized there's very uh limited unfortunately conversation between fields of interest between different points of view uh, compared to the past so the digitization is also pushing um is pushing this hyper specialization further so people because of the way you're uh, social media feeds, uh, feed algorithms work. You're seeing more and more things that already interest you or people that already think like you as opposed to engaging with diverse thoughts and experiences. So these are not, you know, the the way it's you know, necessarily best or that it, it, it was in the past. And I also don't believe it will necessarily be this way in the future. I think uh, there's more of a hunger and a craving for a sense of community mm-hmm. and real life interactions than ever before. Um, and that's why I believe uh, that while Ivy's a unique concept, like a lifelong university, 
um, where you're constantly meeting new people, uh, enjoying new experiences, exploring new opportunities, I believe actually it's going to become a, like a, a new norm uh, because people like that collegiate experience uh, versus you know what you're referring to as a real life. Mm-hmm. Actually, the collegiate experience I think is more uh, how humans are supposed to be with uh, yeah. dozens and hundreds of people who care about them and who they also stand to support in the sense of a community. Now, you guys are doing a thousand events a year. Is that correct? That's right. Wow. It's that's... more than a hundred events a month now. Wow. So let's tell the audience more about the growth that you've had in the past four years. Yeah, I'm happy to. So at the core of it, um, our mission is to create this incredibly robust community that breaks down the walls and barriers between different fields of interest, different points of view. And the way we look to achieve that, as I mentioned, is to create this lifelong collegiate experience. So specifically, our curriculum focuses on entrepreneurship, art, social impact, policy, wellness, science, and philosophy. So those are the seven areas that we're focused on. And those are the seven areas we believe that every single individual, no matter what their interests and what they're trying to do in the world, those seven areas are areas that every single person should be engaged in to maximize their impact on the world and to grow as much as possible as a person. Um, so the question is, you know, how do you do that? How do you do that without a campus, without a degree program, um, across the world, across multiple cities, without also the gigantic endowments that universities have and um, on the budget of a startup venture? So that that is the key key challenge of Ivy and this, this this grand experiment we're running on how to prove that out. So over the four and a half years, obviously we've had tremendous traction. And the reason why it works is that for all the reasons we talked about before, people really want community. They want new experiences. They want real life. And uh, Ivy provides that. So um, initially we started with, uh, we built our website, ivy.com. And we spread the word, we told you know, the people that we respected and looked up to the most, and we told them we're creating a community of inspiring individuals um, to truly spark a new renaissance, like 21st mm-hmm. century renaissance, where we bring together the leading minds and the re- rising leaders in all these different fields. And uh, we wanna really create a movement. And people resonated with that even before we had anything to offer. We didn't have events, even before we had a website, we definitely had a lot of people interested. So then we built our website um, and we realized that to truly create a sense of community, it's not enough just, you know, people belonging to something but not really seeing each other and meeting in person. So we started by hosting one event a month to bring our members together to discuss ideas, uh, to exchange um, different perspectives and have a lot of fun together. And since then, now it's grown to this like tremendous scale where we're hosting more than 100 events a month. And New York, which is where we started, uh, we currently host more than 20 events a month uh, here. And more than the quantity of the events, I think what's way more interesting um, and important is the diversity of these events. So just over the last two weeks in New York, our events have ranged from uh, discussions on how to run for office, mm-hmm. uh, how to launch a product, how to raise a series A and B, 
uh, a dance lab with American Modern Dance uh, behind the scenes experience. We had our Ivy Summer Soiree. Um, so uh, we have an event coming up tonight on the future of warfare and you know policy initiatives related to that. So it's incredible. Uh, we also have done a volunteer experience. Um, mentoring um, high school students, uh, you know, as they're making their college decisions. So there's a tremendous diversity of what we do. Uh, but what is common across all of these is that every single Ivy experience, you're there with incredible people who are super thoughtful. They have self-selected to belong to something uh, where they are, where they know that it's all about meeting new people and discussing new ideas. So. You'd be hard pressed to find a more open-minded and warmer crowd. Um, we're constantly engaging with new ideas and initiatives, and then, as a byproduct, which is the actual main mission, by engaging in these things, they're finding and bonding with incredible other other people, who then they start businesses with, or work on nonprofit initiatives with, or artistic endeavors with. So that's the beauty of. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th, we will have our most impactful event ever. The experience includes workshops, masterminds, advisors, high speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. So I, I have three things I want to chat with you about the branding and then the growth and then uh, monetizing something like this. So first question is, why did you choose the name Ivy? It's one of those things where um, with every brand, there's, I, I believe there's two ways to go. One is that you do a ton of market research and you test out a million different names and so on and so forth. So that is definitely not how we came up with the name of Ivy. <laughs> okay. The other way you come up with a brand or a name for something is this intuition and subconscious feeling. And for me, uh, being from abroad and as someone whose you know, history was always my favorite subject, for me when I thought about, okay, when we're talking about a community like this with you know, such lofty ideals um, and such a focus on substance and connection, I really thought that the word Ivy represented a lot of, uh, a lot of what, what we wanted to communicate. So on the one hand, the plant Ivy, the way that it grows over time and the connections and bonds that it kind of represents, mm -hmm. uh, that was a key part of it. Uh, the word Ivy also has like a collegiate resonance to it. So again, uh, across oh, yeah. the world, when people think of the word Ivy, they think of uh, like maybe these like grand educational institutions. But for us, what we thought was, you know, we really want to like, this is a very powerful word that evokes like a sense of heritage, academia, but also, you know, doing well, the search for truth and, and things like that. So that's, that's kind of what, what we thought about, but there wasn't much, you know, discussion about it. We just thought this has got to be the name. Um, and I think having <laughs> run it now for many years, I realized that it was a very much a subconscious thing and definitely influenced also by my own collegiate experiences. So in the early days, Barry, when you were just starting out kind of 2011 and then again in 2013, what, um, what did you do to attract people to this? So the, we just, <laughs> It's as simple as like we talked about our mission and what we believe. Mm -hmm. And 
people resonated with that and they wanted to be a part of it. Where? So, like, where were you doing that at? So we first talked to the people that we know and respected. So everyone from friends, colleagues, peers, mentors, and so forth. So it really started extremely organically. And actually, that organic aspect has never really changed. Uh, we never, like, we, we've never been about hype and PR and so forth. It was very much like organic outreach and telling people, hey, this is what we believe. This is what we're building. We believe you have a great background and great story. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And, um, you know, for those people that that resonated with, it was really a, it was a call to action to not just like join something, but be a part of building it. And truly, even though we're a lot farther ahead than when we started now, um, that approach has not changed still, you know, whether like a lot of our new members come from referrals from existing members, but even when we reach out to people that we really look up to, uh, we always ask them to join us in building this thing. Um, because, you know, I guess in a unique way, the product or service here is the same as the customer. It's, you know, yeah. and even, even for me. So, uh, it's always been that very organic approach to growth. How many members do you have now? So we have over 20,000 members now across the country. Wow. And is the membership a paid membership or is it a free membership? It's a paid membership. Um, and, you know, we are supported pretty much almost entirely by the member base. Okay. We have raised, uh, we bootstrapped initially and we raised some money uh, from individual investors. Uh, but again, vast majority of our budget is directly from members who support this. Um, so the way it works is that there's a one-time initiation, mm -hmm. uh, fee that, you know, new members contribute to. So it's almost like, uh, the existing members have built this great thing. So when they're joining, they make a contribution to support future growth. Um, and then there is a monthly membership fee as well, uh, which is like a pretty nominal amount that people contribute to ensure that we're able to provide that everything that we provide. And I'm curious, like, say somebody wants to build their own movement or their own tribe, and they like the paid membership model. Like, it, in the beginning, uh, when your friends and your the people you're speaking with to get the word out, what were some of the challenges and the hurdles that you had, and, and what did you do to get over those to get those first members to sign up and pay you to be a part of this? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what we did is, it, again, it, it was a very organic, like, kind of iterative figuring out process, but we told people this is what we're doing, and people wanted to be a part of it. Not everyone, but the ones who really believed, which are actually the ideal, um, ideal uh, people to build a business with. So, but then we realized, okay, so we got to actually bring these people together to really, you know, unlock all the potential uh, between between these individuals so we realized like events and experiences are the most effective way of doing that and interestingly the rarest way uh, these days so the experiences were the key key thing then the challenge became okay so if it's once a month but then you know a bunch of people miss it because they're not available on that particular day even though they want to engage uh, when experiences became the hook uh, we realize, okay, we need more experiences because, you know, you want people to be engaged and you want them constantly colliding with each other to get inspiration. Mm -hmm. So then the challenge became, well, how do you um, 
how do you host so many experiences, you know, in a financially responsible way? Um, so we came up with a very creative calendar of experiences where we thought, okay, um, how do we do it so that the frequency, so let's say we go now twice a month, okay, well, what should the formats be and how frequently should each format happen and how do we program that? And then how do we do that across more than one city? How do we do it in two, three, four, five, six, seven cities? So actually, um, <laughs> I came up with a calendar on Excel mm -hmm. that made it humanly possible for me to be in like, seven cities every two weeks like in all seven cities wow so it was like uh you know like initially before we could hire anyone in other cities and so forth uh i just thought about how can i and the two people uh, on my events team how could we host events and experiences across the country um so it was an extremely bootstrapped approach <laughs> but actually it was very powerful because if you want to build a community you know, you, you really like the face-to-face -face is irreplaceable, but that doesn't mean you need to live in the same city as everybody else. You just need to make sure that, you know, you get to know the initial set of people. So that was a huge challenge. And I think passing that challenge is what earned us the right to survive and thrive. I mean, that was a critical turning point in the business. And what happened was that, you know, before we hired anyone on the ground, we're already running these experiences out of headquarters, uh, you know, traveling to all the cities, and we had a critical mass of members join in each city, whereby the city was already generating substantial revenues that enabled us to then hire locally in those cities to then way increase the number of experiences and all the services and experiences we could provide to our members. So that was like a key challenge. One was like, not enough experiences. How do you host the minimum number of experiences to get the minimum number of members which then enable you to get the minimum number of staff that enables you to, hmm. uh, you know, provide an even better experience. So it's only this year now where, um, you know, most of our cities have more than five staff on the ground. And within 12 months, all cities will have between 10 to 15 staff on the ground. But it's a very organic development. So as the member base grows, the more people we're able to hire, the better offering we can provide, which then attracts more members and it's a virtual circle cycle like that so do you have are there like volunteer presidents in each different city or region or is it just basically the staff that's kind of managing it um i mean it's both so oh. we have our local community managers okay and, gotcha. and we have also um our uh our events managers and so forth but within every single city we also have our IV ambassadors who are like the member leaders uh, who are also helping. Um, compared to the many other organizations that just like, you know, say, oh, okay, members organize everything and, you know, right. we just provide some background support. We're not like that. We're actually incredibly and ridiculously hands-on okay. in terms of thinking very thoughtfully about the programming and making it an extremely high-quality experience. Okay, so the next question I want to ask you is, is how do you recognize these, these leaders and whether they're fit enough to become a, a volunteer community manager in that area? Yeah, so we uh, interview every single member, uh, every single prospective member before they join. So we get to know everyone one-on-one. -on -one. I get to know really what they care most about uh, intellectually, personally, professionally, culturally. Um, and then once they actually become a member, uh, we have an extremely hands-on uh, process whereby we 
kind of stay in touch with every single member. We're obviously constantly hosting them at events, but in between events too, our community managers really, really get to know each person ever better mm-hmm. and constantly connect them to each other. So the members who are most engaged, right? Uh, the members who want to contribute the most, it's a very self-selecting kind of thing. Like there are a lot of members who want to do um, a lot more to contribute, to help build this community. Mm-hmm. So, and we let them and we support them in everywhere we can and them doing that. So you guys are running roughly a thousand events a year for a community of about 20,000 people. And I, I'd like to know, Barry, I'm sure that the logistics could be a f- easily a four hour podcast on this, I bet. <laughs> but but I, I would just like to know what you think a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are doing events what they're missing because it's difficult to make an events business successful for quite a few reasons from your experience what do you think those entrepreneurs are missing when they're trying to create events for their business i think the way the best way that i can answer that question is more about what i believe makes our events successful okay and i guess you know maybe if some of these ingredients are missing and events being hosted by others uh, maybe maybe um, these these ingredients could be like you know the, the, the what makes us successful could be something that could be valuable to consider so first and foremost I think context is so important right so what is the purpose of this event um, so there is a simple way to look at that which is okay what's in it for me like why should I go and is that clear enough but I think a much more important one is the whole context of like who's hosting this event and why and what's their mission. Um, and that I think is really, really important because people get primed ahead of time on, you know, how they're going to behave and what they're you know looking to get based on how the event is positioned. So if the event is, you know, like, so for us, what's allowed us, I believe to be very successful is that, just our very mission, we're talking about, we're all about bringing people together, we're about unity, we're about making a change and growth and making an impact. So all of a sudden, doesn't matter what the theme of the particular event is, or, you know, whether it's a huge event or a small event, or, you know, whatever it may be, um, people already know that, okay, like, this is the part of something larger and bigger. So that I think, then helps people bring their best self to the event makes them a lot more open and uh makes you know in some events you know there's all these like awkwardness and so forth here at ivy's events like you know that every single person who's going there is passionate about creating a better world and they joined ivy because they're specifically extremely open to new ideas and new people so it just makes interaction very easy so setting the context is i think critical initially then of course you need to make sure that there's a critical mass of people for the particular event that you're hosting. So even, you know, if it's going to be a 500 person uh, salon discussion, keynote type event, you know, you better make sure the room is full, you know, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the energy there, you got to match like the energy uh, from the quantity of the people to the size of the space. Um, so again, it could also be a 20 person dinner, right? But yeah. then you better have 20 people there because if you only have 10, you know, energy kind of dissipates. Yeah. Uh, so matching the number of people to the size of the venue. Um, and then obviously it's all about the audience. Like you can have the greatest performance or speaker or whatever, right? 
but you can also just listen to that person online. So what makes it a truly uh, great experience isn't so much the content is really important and getting people to learn something and like engage at a deeper level. But ultimately, just like university, what matters most is your peers. It's the other attendees. That's actually the most critical piece. So Ivy's, you know, interview process and the fact that, you know, we really care about who's participating, um, again, like leads to uh, a very, very, very um, awesome crowds actually turning up. These are inspired individuals who want to do great things. So that that truly helps. Um, and then last but not least, I mean, the content is also super important. And the best lesson I've learned early on, uh, a, a great and wise friend <laughs> told me something like, everything that's flashy, you know, if there's a lot of flash, yeah, you'll attract a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But by definition, it's very hard to maintain like just something because it's, it's trendy and flashy. What's more important, especially, you know, if, if you truly care about, you know, something not just being fashionable but long-lasting it's all about substance so is there truly a substance to this event like a true call to action something that really enables you to grow or or is it just like oh this is really cool and you know there's a big difference so what we made a trade-off early on where we said we are not gonna be a hype driven you know you know promising the world we decided we just focus on the substance we'll talk about a subject we'll talk about how great the audience is and like the impact we want to have is and grow more organically from there. And I think that really helped too, because managing expectations is also key. So you got to like, obviously sell the event and the invitation has to be super compelling, but then you actually have to deliver as well uh, to have that kind of repeat interaction. And because Ivy is ultimately a community, a lifelong community versus being just an events company, Mm -hmm. that repeat interaction, I believe is also a huge uh, component behind our success because every time you meet someone at an Ivy experience, or even if you meet Ivy members, you know through our digital platforms or app, you know that you're going to see those people again and again and again. So it's the opposite of zero sum. It's a much more of like a lifelong type thing. So this all leads to people bringing their best selves and also enabling them to be a lot more open and vulnerable and real. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is hard to find in this world and therefore it becomes very addicting because <laughs> this is what people are craving and you know it's not really readily available outside of something like ivy so i have to ask you barry being the leader of an organization like this or one of the leaders what other communities or tribes do you participate in so i'm sure this keeps you incredibly busy and then you'll have your family life friends and then other activities that you like to do to balance your life out are there any other tribes that you belong to that you participate in actively yeah i mean i think um definitely harvard business school as part of my mba class Mm -hmm. um that is has been a very powerful um tribe uh as you call it so you know my co-founder a lot of my very best friends in life a lot of people i respect tremendously a lot of fellow entrepreneurs who are you know, doing amazing things. This has all come from uh, from that business school experience where we had two years of like extensive bonding and learning and growing together. And even though we graduated you know, seven years ago, I think that that tribe continues to be strong and uh, provides a base of support. Um, so again, um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer, uh, you know, in the power of uh, 
universities to bring people together and specifically graduate programs that, you know, again, it's very self-selecting uh, for certain groups of people. It uh, could be a powerful way of, of getting that. Um, in terms of, I mean, obviously Ivy is the most important tribe I'm a part of now um, because, you know, I'm going to several events per week and the team here and, you know, a lot of like half of my friends are now Ivy members as well. Um, so, you know, it, and a lot of our collaborations, a lot of the ideas for what we're doing is coming from the community itself. So I think those two are the biggest, you know, tribes that I'm a part of today. Do you know any tribes or communities out there that you respect and you really admire the direction that they're going? Again, uh, not to be repetitive, but I think like what inspires me the most when it comes to communities and tribes are universities. I think they do it by far the best mm -hmm. and inspire me the most. Um, specifically because, you know, if you think about, you know, people go and it's a huge investment of time and money, uh, but, you know, they belong for life. And actually, those who are most successful um, and create tremendous wealth actually give back millions of dollars to these institutions. And I think, I can't think of any other organization structure like that. Like, where do you give years of life of your life to pay a ton of money to go and then donate millions of dollars if you have the ability it's a unique thing but i think it's like uh as they say proof is in the pudding like it's it's obviously uh something that people appreciate and you know c consider a part of their identity so strongly uh to to be involved that way i do believe there's also ngos and charities that you know, or cultural institutions that people also join the boards of and give back to. Mm -hmm. So I think those are really great too. Um, but again, for me, universities are like the ultimate example of also, you know, it's independent of field, you know, so you have medical school, law school, business school, engineering school, art school, you name it, all under one roof. And these people all belonging to one tribe that, you know, then they're alumni for life. I think it's by far the... Uh, most impressive example of uh, like a, an entity that brings people from all across the world and unites them. So that's why I think it's so important that this isn't just something for four years and then maybe a couple more years for masters or PhD, but it should be something that's lifelong. Yeah. Okay. One more thing, Barry, and then we'll let you go. The location independent movement is we have a lot of listeners that tune in that have remote businesses and location independent businesses. And I think you mentioned that um, a lot of your senior man or some of your senior managers are managing remote teams of a hundred more people. So you've built an incredible system within your business. And so I want to ask you, a lot of people do avoid the service industry over products for building these location independent businesses because of the challenges and the logistics and the human aspect that really gets engaged and putting people in these um, specific locations to handle that and manage that. So any tips that you could give those entrepreneurs that are out there that are building these events or service-based businesses where you could keep it or you could remove your physical location and you can run the business from wherever you're at? Yeah, I think it's the same as, you know, I, rugby was my sport growing up and our coach would just say one word nonstop at every single practice for years on end. And that word is communication. So it's all about communication and clearly communication is a lot better in person, you know, as a rule, but you can make up for that, you know, in the absence of like being able to be in the same room with someone 
by making sure you have a lot of systems and structures in place to make communication as easy and as personal as possible. Um, and again, it's also um, not just for remote work, but for any organization that gets large, it becomes extremely difficult for people to be in the same place. Like if you think of a multinational company, you know, with uh, global operations, you still need to, you know, have a mission and an agenda and have people be on the same page and have this like consistent culture. So I think communication is definitely the key and maintaining and actually expanding the scale of communication as you grow is also critical because as you have more people involved, um, you know, you may, the temptation to just communicate to a handful of people grows because it's hard to communicate with everyone, but you gotta just find those ways that people can be kept on the same page and that, you know, it's not just all business, but people also need to really, you know, uh, respect each other and enjoy each other's uh, presence, uh, again, even if it's remotely. So I think it's a mix of like making sure that, you know, uh, regardless of where people are, they communicate as much as possible. Um, I think video conferencing versus just phone calls is important. I think it's extremely important for people to see each other also face to face and see each other's body language. Um, and then I also do believe that it's important that even if you're remote and um, a lot of the people that you're going to work with are, you know, not people that you're going to see very often at all. It's still important, like if you can spend some time with them in person, like, you know, even, you know, let's say you have developers in Asia and you're traveling across Latin America, it makes a world of difference. Like if you have the opportunity to just overlap in person for even a day or like a couple of days, it builds this foundation of interpersonal trust that's a lot stronger and that can last years without seeing the other person, but there was at least some interpersonal connection. So I think, you know, if you can have a interpersonal overlap at some point, it, it leaves an extremely lasting impression. And then continuing that with ongoing, very consistent communication, I think is really key. Beautiful. Barry, we're going to leave you with that. I have to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing everything about Ivy and your story. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you for hosting and thank you everybody for listening. And uh, please, um, I welcome everybody to get in touch, email me if you'd like to learn more or communicate. Um, I'm at barry at ivy.com. And Chris, I'm sure we'll post this also together with the podcast as well. And hopefully we'll get some people to come join Ivy. Um, Absolutely. Thank you, Barry. Listeners, thank you guys once again for tuning in. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us theentrepreneurhouse.com we will respond as soon as we can for now saludos from somewhere in the world